Well, good morning, Journey Church. It's great to be here. Um, I guess the first service didn't tell you guys there was a guest speaker on the way out, so you could slip out the back before coming in. Now you're stuck with me. Um, but for those who don't know me, my name is Mike DeVito. I played nine years in the NFL and retired up here in 2016. I live in Hamden with my wife, Jesse, and my two little boys. And um, having played in the NFL, I've had a lot of opportunities to speak. And a lot of people want me to come in, and especially at churches. People know I'm a Christian. They want me to come in and, and talk. And a lot of the times, the structure of these talks is a lot about football. So the pastor will sit me down and say, hey, listen, tell a ton of football stories. Like, people just want to hear about football. So just talk about, like, well, you want gospel, Jesus? Like, a little bit of Jesus, a lot of football. Like, just stick to what you know. So I got the call from Jim this past week to come in and talk, and uh, – uh, he said, I, I want you to preach a sermon. I was like, you got it. Got some new football stories. Be perfect. It's like, no, no, I want you to, to finish up, you know, a series that we're doing. Finish the second, you know, second part of the series called Aftermath. I was like, oh, all right. I could still probably weave some, some football stuff in there. And he's like, no, listen, like, I want you to cap off uh, this series. And the, the series is about our relationship as Christians to the Old Testament. I was thinking, gee, that's a really tough topic. And as I studied it this past week, I'm like, there's no football stories to add in here. So <laughs> I apologize. But uh, I'm excited to be here because this is a really, this is a tough topic. It's a, it's a difficult theological topic, but it's, it's incredibly important to understand. Um, just to recap, last week, Jim was talking about how when we first get our Bibles, nobody really lays out, you know, what the Bible, how the Bible's structured. Um, whether we're, you know, kids or we come to Christ as adults, we get the Bible and generally we get the, the, uh, the statements, listen, this is true, this is God's word, don't put anything on top of it, you got to revere it, respect it, you don't have to read it, but you just got to sit it there and that's God's word and everything in it is true. Um, and so that's correct. Uh, but what happens is when you, you don't realize that the Bible is broken up into three covenants. And, and this is important because these three covenants, these three sections, were written to three different audiences. And they were written in three different historical contexts. And, and, and they form a, they're sequential. They form a storyline. But what happens is what was important um, becomes less important and becomes replaced by something more important. And so if you don't understand the context of the scripture that you're reading, um, it can cause issues, it can cause problems. And so we, we see the Bible is broken up into these three covenants. God had a covenant first with an individual, Abraham, then a covenant with the nation, the nation of Israel, and then a covenant with the nations. And that's the New Testament church, a covenant with the world. And so, okay, well, well why is this important? Because Here's my, here's my one football analogy for today. I think about this as, as a football player. When you're on a football team, a football team consists of three different phases. There's an offense, a defense, and special teams. And all these three phases go out on the field on Sunday, and they have a specific thing that they're going to do, a specific job that they're supposed to get done. And so as a defensive player, we have a defensive playbook that tells us what we're going to do on Sunday. Here's the game plan. Here's what we're going to do. The offense has a playbook, and the special teams has a playbook. Now, as a defensive player, if I was to go into the offensive room and read the offensive playbook, it would teach me about the philosophy of the team. It would teach me about, you know, what they're trying to get done, big principles. But if I were to take the plays and try to execute them on defense, there would be a problem, right? So if I'm, if I'm on defense and I'm lining up and all of a sudden the ball gets hiked and I drop back, you know, like a quarterback, like Tom Brady, 
you know, I look better than Tom Brady, but if I drop back like Tom Brady, there, there's going to be major problems, you know? That's not how it was designed. And so what happens is when people read the Bible and they, they hear this is all true, this is God's word, and that is true, but they don't understand that these covenants were written to certain people in certain historical contexts, you have people that are either leaving the faith, have left the faith, or have lost faith because of it. They've lost the faith because there's, there's things in the Bible that they just don't believe, right? There's, the, there's certain stories, especially Old Testament stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament um, that people just, you know, have trouble believing. And so they leave the faith because of it. And, and as we're going to talk about today, that's, you know, it's devastating because it's reading the Bible out of context. When I... Um, and we, we weren't taught this, and, and I wasn't taught this until a few years ago when I started grad school. I, I, I started grad school and, uh, in the Christian philosophy program. And so Christian philosophy, we study arguments for and against the existence of God, and we debate atheists, and uh, it's, it's really it's a, it's a lot of fun. But the, the first semester, the first eight weeks of the course, of the, grad, you know, the graduate school that I was at, was devoted to, it was called Old Testament Survey, and it was devoted to analyzing how the Old Testament and New Testament relate, how they go together, how we're supposed to understand it. And I thought, this is really weird in a Christian philosophy. This is more Christian theology. And the idea was, no, this is very philosophical because how you understand this can have a major impact on your apologetic or how you evangelize, how you demonstrate the faith. And so the program knew this, this is really important. So that's that's where our story is at today. Again, recapping a little bit more, we will start in Acts 15. That's where we'll camp out today. Um, but just to go back again to what Jim was saying yesterday, we saw that the found, or yesterday, last week, <clears throat> what Jim said last week was that the foundation of the faith was an event, right? So we go through Easter, we have the resurrection, and that becomes the foundation of the faith. It wasn't the scriptures, it wasn't the New Testament, there wasn't any, there was no scriptures, there was no New Testament, there wasn't a Bible, there was the, the Old Testament law and prophets, uh, but there wasn't a Bible, there wasn't letters from Paul yet, um, we're still skeptical if, if the Gospels had even been written yet, and if they had been, they weren't circulating around, and so it was the resurrection that was the foundation of the church. Um, but what comes along with that is, is you, you have the church, which is primarily in Jerusalem and Judea, which is obviously very Jewish. And the, the, the first, the, the early church was very Jewish. Most of the, the new believers, the new converts to Christianity were Jewish. And so you have what, what Jim talked about last time, this, this mixing and matching, right? This, this little bit of Jesus, little bit of Moses, little bit of the gospel, little bit of the law. You have these Jews who have embraced Jesus and what he's done because of the resurrection, but again, grew up in this very Jewish context, and this was their entire life. And so you have this, this mixing and matching of this. And it took 20 years for them to figure this out, for the, for the church to figure this out. Um, but they, they, they finally get it done. And what's interesting is in Acts 15, we get a firsthand account of how this played out. A lot of the things, being somebody who enjoys studying the history of the church, a lot of the, the, the controversial issues play out over a long period of time. There's not one text that you can point to, and they get resolved, you know, periodically. And some of it's ambiguous, and it's hard to tell. And so things like why church went from Saturday to Sunday, or, um, you know, why do we have these certain books in the New Testament? Why not other books? Why was it these books? Those things are a lot more difficult to work through historically. When it comes to our relationship to the Old Testament, we really have this in, in Acts 15. It's, it's a layout of the, of the first church, um, of the church dealing with this issue. 
And so to start, you have Paul, he's in Antioch, and he's with Barnabas. And they're in Antioch. Antioch's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And this is a Gentile city. And Paul and Barnabas go up to Antioch, and they're evangelizing. They're bringing the gospel up to these Gentile believers. And, and, and the message is very simple. It's, it's the gospel message. It's this is what Jesus did. This is the resurrection and the life. This is what he was about. And what you need to do to become a Christian is to follow him, to embrace him as the truth. Very simple message. And the Gentiles, they're like, yeah, this is, this is great. This is so much better than paganism. Like, this makes a ton more sense. And so they're, they're embracing what Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas are telling them at Antioch. But back in Jerusalem, you have the mix and match group. You, you have um, the, these Jewish believers back in Jerusalem. They hear about what Paul and Barnabas are doing in Antioch. And they're saying, wait a minute. We're just going to throw away the entire law in Old Testament. We're going to throw away what Moses had to say. We're not going to, you know, that's not applicable anymore. And so behind Paul and Barnabas up at Antioch, the, the mix and match group, the Jews in, in Jerusalem, sent a group of, of missionaries up to Antioch to correct Paul's theology, what they considered really bad theology. And so we start here in Acts 15.1. It says, certain people came from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. So the certain people are, are this, this mix and match group, the, uh, the, the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem, and they're going up to Antioch to speak to the believers, the, the, the Gentile converts in Antioch. And then the next part says, and this is what they said to them. They said, unless you are circumcised according to the, cust according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That is, uh, that's probably not great for church attendance, right? That's, uh, <laughs> that is a tough rule. So, so what these, these, um, uh, these, Mix, the mix and match group is bringing this, this, the, the Old Testament law up there and saying, look, for you Gentiles to become Christians, you first need to become Jews, and then you need to become Christians. And so, because circumcision was, was the mark of the covenant for the, for the Jews. This was how you knew, you know, someone was uh, Jewish, how they, they, they were um, God's people. How you knew that, I'm not, I'm not sure how you confirm that. Like, are you Jewish? Yes. Are you sure? <laughs> but th this, was, this was the mark of the covenant. Little babies, obviously, would, would be circumcised. And then adult male converts to Judaism would, would be circumcised. And so this was, how, uh, this was how you became a Jew. And so these Old Testament, uh, the, the, these New Testament Christians who are Jewish are bringing this extra command along in behind Paul. And so now you have the group at Antioch. And they're sitting there, and they're saying, wait a minute, hold on, where's, where's Paul at? Because Paul was just here a little while ago, and Paul and Barnabas are saying this, and now you guys are coming up and saying why, and we're not sure what to do. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with, um, oh, I'm sorry, so this is the next, the next verse. It says, this brought Barnabas and Paul into sharp dispute and debate with them. So we have the first sort of debate within the New Testament church, right? This is the first conflict within the New Testament church. You have the Antioch. Uh, you know, the, the group of you know, believers at Antioch, you have Paul, and then you have the group of uh, believers in Jerusalem. And it's, how are, how are we going to go about this? What are we going to say to these Gentile believers in Antioch about how they should become Christians? And so, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So the apostles are 
the men who were with Jesus through his ministry, right? So this is James, this is Peter, this is John, and the elders, and they're going to go to Jerusalem. So they're going to go back to Jerusalem. Now, why, why go to Jerusalem to handle this? Again, there were no New Testament scriptures. There was no writing. There was nothing for them to point to and say, oh, look, this is what the Bible says. These guys were, were handling this stuff on the fly and say, no, we're going we're gonna to form a council in Jerusalem and we're going to sit down and, and work, this, work this issue out. And here was the issue. A Gentile's relationship to the law of Moses. This was the one thing that they were going to focus on. And more importantly for our context, because this is what's applicable, our relationship to our Old Testament. What this group sat down, this first Jerusalem council sat down to do was to figure out how Gentiles are going to make sense of and relate to the Old Testament. Then some of the believers who, were, who belonged to the party, okay, so this is, this is um, now we're back in Jerusalem. We're having the debate. Everybody's there. You have Paul. You have the people from Antioch. You have the, um, Christian, uh, the Christians in Jerusalem, uh, the apostles. So now we're having this debate. This is, this is at the Jerusalem Council. And, and Luke records, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So I find this really interesting, if you go back just one slide, um, some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. So when we, we go back to, the, we, we rewind back to the Gospels 20 years earlier, we see the Pharisees were always trying to chip Jesus up, right? Every time Jesus turned a corner, the Pharisees were trying to mess up his theology. They were calling for him to get crucified. I mean, these guys were the enemies of Jesus' message. And now 20 years later, they've become Christians. Now, why do you think that was? Again, there's no scriptures. There's no Bible. So it's not, you know, was it the Sermon on the Mount? Was it, you know, anything else Jesus said? No, it was the resurrection. Was there, when somebody predicts their own death, dies, and three days later raises from the dead and then ascends into heaven, I think it's, 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 it's okay to say we're going to do what that man says. And so the Pharisees saw that, and now they're in this council. But the Pharisees are Jews. And so they said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So this is the debate, this is the discussion they're having, right? Because these, these, these Pharisees, these were, the, these were the, when you're talking about law-abiding Jews, these were the guys, right? These were the guys that were, that were saying, we are going to set the standard for what it means to be a Jew. And so they're really embraced in this Old Testament worldview. And then Luke records in, in Acts 15, 7, Peter, he says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now, up until recently, Peter had been part of this mix and match group. Peter, if you remember from last week, Jim talking about how Peter, when he, when he was meeting with the centurion, um, wouldn't even enter the house, wouldn't even enter the house of a Gentile because it was against uh, Jewish custom, Jewish tradition to enter, for, for a Jew to enter into the house of a Gentile. And it takes him 15 years, it takes Peter 15 years to figure it out, and he, he enters into the house and the, sits down. The first thing at the table he said is, you know, yesterday I considered you guys impure and unclean. Like, that's a weird way to start a conversation. Like, where, where do you think the combo went from there, you know? Like, oh, great, thanks. But he, he's someone who, who still, you know, this is 20 years after, who's still having a tough time figuring this out. Now, finally, 15, 20 years later, he starts to figure it out. 15 years later, he realizes and he starts to embrace the fact that God is doing something new in the world. And so he, he addresses them in this Jerusalem council, and he says, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you, 
that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. So he says, brothers, you know some time ago that God made a choice among you, the Gentiles, that the Gentiles might hear the lips from my lips, the message of the gospel and belief. So he says, look, you guys know I went to, into the centurion's house. You guys know about the dietary things that I've sacrificed, and you guys weren't happy about that, but you know I've been pointed by God to bring this message to the Gentiles. And then he says, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit uh, just as he did to us. So he says, I'm in the house with the centurion. I'm in the house sitting with him, and I see God doing for him and doing to him what he's done to us. And he says this, he said, God who knows the heart, God who, who looks beyond um, our faults, God who looks beyond our past, God who looks beyond our circumstances, God who looks beyond our lack of knowledge of the Old Testament, in, in this case. And he said, God who looks beyond all that is doing the same thing for them, for these Gentiles, as he did to us. And this is apart from the law and apart from knowing the law and following the, the commands of Moses. And so this, this, these last six words here, just as he did to us, these, this is difficult for us in our context to, to understand, but this, this really represented a, a seismic shift and changed from an Old Testament paradigm, an Old Testament worldview to a New Testament worldview. This, this was major when you look at what the context of what was going on. In, in an Old Testament worldview, you know, God's people were the Jews. They were the chosen nation, and everybody else was an enemy. Everybody else was on the outside, and they were an enemy of God's people. That's why when you, when you read Psalms, sometimes you get whiplash, right? Because you're listening to David, and he's talking about Jesus, or, you know, God, I love you, and uh, you're so great, and you're so good, and kill my enemies, and burn them down, and destroy their crops. And you're like, whoa, David, what happened? He's just talking about how great God is, and then you're telling him to kill your enemies. But this was totally consistent, right? Because David knew that he was one of God's chosen people and that people on the outside were enemies to God and that God would display his power through destroying them. Christianity brought in an entirely new worldview. God had thrown open the doors for the rest of the world to come in. There was no more of this hunkered down religion that is Judaism where it's hunkered down, wait for God to come, isolate yourself, now God opens the doors to the rest of the world and says, I want everybody. He tells the apostles, go and bring forth my message to all nations, right? So an entirely different worldview. What was for the Jews was now for everyone apart from the law and the prophets. So then Peter says this, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? I, I love this part with Peter. I think this, this is so honest, right? So he's saying to everybody, listen, gather around. Let's not let this leave this meeting. But look, you guys know we're not even good at following these laws. Like there's 613 of these things. We're not even good at following these laws. How do we expect them to do it? When I left New York to, move, to go to Kansas City, so I played my first six years with the Jets, uh, and then my last three years with the Kansas City Chiefs. And so when I was with the Jets, I was in New York. We were in the city. There was, it was a very, you know, it was a city. There was no, we, nobody was playing in the woods or doing anything like that. When I moved out to Kansas City, totally different climate, totally different atmosphere. And a lot of the guys went hunting, right? That was, that was big out there. 
And so when I first got out there, they said, hey, Mike, you got to come hunting with us. Now, I had never been hunting before, but I didn't, I didn't want them to know that. So I said, yeah, no, I'll go out there. Let's go. Let's go hunt. And so I go to Cabela's and I say, look, my buddies want me to go hunting. Don't tell them I said this, but I've never been before. Like, I need you to show me what I need. So they give me all the stuff. Oh, you need camouflage this and camouflage that. And so I get out there, and the, you know what? I forgot a belt. So I have these big camouflage pants with no belt on. So I take one step in the woods. My pants are falling down to my knees. And my buddies, they've been doing this their whole life. They're like zooming through the woods. They're like ninjas. They're not touching a stick, right? I'm stomping through, cracking sticks. Every animal from Kansas to Maine had to hear me coming. I'm talking about just pants down, breathing heavy. Get to, get to uh, uh, there's like this embankment. There's this really steep embankment. I get up to it, and I have all my stuff on. And my buddy goes, you, you be okay getting down? I'm like, yeah, I'll be a pro athlete. I'll be fine getting down there. Guys, I took one step, slip right up, shotgun goes flying, pants fall down to my knees again. Just <laughs> terrible. And I feel like that's kind of what Peter's saying here. Peter's like, you know, like if I was to be a hunting guy, Peter's saying the same thing. Like, we're bad at this. Like, how can we ever expect these people to be good at this in the same way? Like, how, like, that's like me trying to teach other people how to go hunting, right? It just doesn't, it doesn't work. We're not good at this. So how could we ever expect these Gentiles to follow all these rules and, and abide by these laws? Is this really what they need to do to follow Jesus? And then Peter says this. He says, no, we believe, we believe it if, I'm sorry, we believe it if through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Oh, I'm sorry, let me see. We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. See, as a, if you're a pastor all the time, you adjust to that. When you, you're, we're, when you're a rookie like I am, you need the words perfectly. So right here, we said, uh, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not something grace. This is not something you see a lot of in the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament is made up of a lot of contractual language. God's saying, I will do X if you do Y. I'll do A if you do B, right? So it's, it's very contractual. Now we see, we believe it through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. And that, that last part is, is so important, just as they are. Peter is saying here, we need to be a part of what God's doing, even if it means we set aside the law. We, Jesus-following Jews, must move in their direction and stop expecting them to move in our direction. Peter is saying we need to put this to the side because this new era, this new covenant that God has issued in means we need to move more towards what the Gentiles are doing, which is by grace we are saved through Jesus Christ, and we need to put the law aside. Peter understood that Jesus wasn't an and. Jesus wasn't instead of. This wasn't, you know, Christianity wasn't Judaism 2.0, right? This, this wasn't uh, an add-on. This was a standalone. Christianity was a standalone. It wasn't an add-on to Judaism. There was no mixing and matching. The Old Testament law, the, the Old Testament law and the, and the, the prophets were an ends, were a means to a glorious end, right? So they propelled us, they propelled the Jewish nation into the New Testament church. But just like I said at the beginning, what was important became less important so that something more important could take, take shape and, and become applicable. And so now James stands up, and James is the brother of Jesus. And so 
just like the Pharisees, it's incredibly interesting to see that James was uh, a part of this group in Jerusalem because what would it take for you to believe that your brother was God, right? I mean, it would, it would really take some selling. And when you look at James in the Gospels, you can see that he mocked Jesus, right? He, he totally did not believe in what Jesus had to say. Uh, he, just like the Pharisees, I mean, was an enemy of Jesus, but he just thought he was crazy. He thought he was not who he said he was. And now James is the head of the church in Jerusalem. He's the head of the church in Jerusalem. What would it take for that to happen? Again, he knew, he heard Jesus preach. That didn't do it. Something miraculous had to happen. And that was the foundation of the church, the resurrection. So James stands up in this, in this council and he says, guys, look, we should have expected this. We should have seen this coming. Our prophets prophesied that this would happen. Our prophets said God will usher in a new covenant. They said Israel is established to be a light amongst the Gentiles. We should have known this was coming. This shouldn't be, this shouldn't be um, surprising us. And then he says this, he says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. The implications of this, when you look at the context of where he said it, are just incredible. Because what he's saying is God's relationship with Israel is now eliminated from the equation. The Old Testament, the law of Moses, is now eliminated from the equation. It is my judgment, this is the, he's concluding the meeting, he's saying, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, that's incredibly important, but what comes next is, is really fascinating, and it really defines your relationship to over half of your English Bible. And I remember having, having gone through this and read Acts a number of times, every time I get to this verse, I'm, I'm following along what's going on, I'm following along the storyline, and then all of a sudden it seems really contradictory. Um, and so let's, this is Acts 15, 20. James says, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So now remember, in the backdrop, you have Antioch waiting to hear what's going to happen at this council. And the men are saying, boy, I hope the circumcision thing does not pass, right? The <laughs> vote no on issue one. They are, <laughs> they're picketing and everything. They're, and so James says, look, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to make it difficult for them. The Old Testament is, is, is no longer a part of this as far as imperatives for what we're going to ask them to do. To be a Christian does not require Old Testament imperatives. But then he says this, and it's almost like, well, wait a minute. Aren't you, aren't you just cherry-picking from Old Testament laws? Like abstain from meat strangled from blood, abstain from sexual immorality, this very broad statement. And so what's, what's the idea here? And every time I read this, I would always go through and think, that's weird. You know, that doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't really fit into the context. But hey, I'm not going to spend the time to look it up. I'll just figure I'm wrong somewhere. But, <clears throat> but this week forced me to, to look it up. And it, it reminded me of the importance of, of what's called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is just a big fancy word um, for a, a type of theology that studies the context of the Bible greater than just you know, on the face of the scriptures that you're reading. So who wrote it, to who, what's going on in the background, and it really brings a lot of light to um, the scriptures that you're reading, and it can help resolve things like this, and actually help you to understand why it's, why it's so important. And, and I think of it like this, some of you know my family background, but, it, but if you pretend you didn't for, for a second, 
if you were to look in on my, my kitchen, you know, my kitchen and see my family sitting there, and I just poured a cup of coffee and poured some cream in it and mixed it up, and I had my two boys and my wife there, and then let's say I accidentally knock over the cup of coffee. And then all of a sudden, my wife runs in and grabs my son and runs him out of there. And then I run and grab my other son and take him and strip him down, and I wash him up clean. I have to take the, the, the table and the chairs outside and shoot them off with the hose, and everybody's got to get out of the kitchen. If you were watching from the outside and you didn't have any context, you would think, what in the world are these people doing? Like, it was just a spilt coffee. This is, this is crazy. But then when you find out that my son is really, really allergic to dairy and that a contact with, with some kind of dairy would really be an issue, you can understand why things are happening the way they're happening. And so just like here, this, this seems kind of out of place. But what does it mean? What, what, does, this, what, what does it mean when, when James says to, to abstain from these these different foods. And, and he says it in Acts 15, 21. He says, For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So here's where we got a, we got a bird's eye view a little bit more. He's saying, look, up in Antioch, there are, there are a number of Jewish groups up there. And these Jewish groups are part of the Christian group, but they've been in the synagogues for a very long time. They have a Jewish background. And so they will have a very difficult time giving up their dietary laws. It's hardwired into their system. And so I, I, our, our imperatives for this church up in Antioch is to tell the Gentiles to abstain from these foods because it'll be very difficult for um, these Jewish believers to uh, make these changes. And so the idea was something like, this was for unity in the church. This, this wasn't Old Testament imperatives. He's not pulling out Old Testament laws just at random. He's saying, look, we're going to do this not because uh, this, this is some overarching imperative, but we're going to do this because we want unity in the church. We want one church, not two. And so the Gentiles, just like the Jews, need to make concessions, and, and we're going to make this concession with these dietary laws because it's going to be difficult for these Jews who are up here to... Uh, give up on these dietary laws. So these imperatives had nothing to do with keeping the law of Moses. These imperatives had everything to do with keeping the peace in the church. I, I kind of understand how this, how this is, too. I understand how these, these Jews might have felt because I grew up in a, in a very conservative household. And I know politics is, is always off, off the table, right, when you're preaching. But I'm a guest preacher, so I'll, I won't be here. You guys can't. You got to email Jim. <laughs> um, I'll have to sit in the back from now on. But uh, but no. But I grew up in a very conservative household, right? It, it was like we weren't very religious, but very conservative. And I mean, so conservative that liberal was literally a swear word. Like I'd be like, I'd call my brother, but like, you're a liberal. But like, you're a liberal. And my dad would be like, don't say that word in this house. Okay, we do not use that word in this room under this roof. And so that was, that was how conservative we were. Um, and then recently, I, I, I see what's going on in the world, and I see this visceral back and forth, um, uh, you know, this, this kind of nasty back and forth. And I say, you know what? I need to get out there and start talking with my buddies and my friends who don't have the same political beliefs as I do. So we can try to work this out. I need to see if we can, you know, we can do this in a way that, uh, even if it's on a small scale, just, just get together and talk about these things uh, with people who disagree with me. So I I did that. I got a group together, and we started a podcast, like a reading group. And what I noticed is, even being in that group with the mindset of, we're going we're gonna to really come together and, and teach each other. 
The second somebody brings up something like, yeah, no, Bill Clinton did a really good job. Like, wait a minute, man, wait a minute. Don't be talking like that. They say, how would you see what AOC did? Like, I'm not watching AOC, all right? I'm watching Fox News. <laughs> it's like, even then, even with that, it was, it's so hard to shed that. Uh, even when my mindset is to, you know, to put that aside and try to come to some unity. Now, imagine for these Jews who grew up uh, in this culture where their entire lives were this, were this structure of, of Judaism and how difficult this must have been. So again, these imperatives weren't about keeping the law of Moses. They were about keeping the peace in the church. But then you have, this other, you have this other one, abstain from sexual immorality. This one's kind of an outlier, right? It's like, well, wait a minute, what, is, what, does, that have to, what does that have to do with anything? And, and, and here's what's important to remember. The Gentiles, these, these were, the Gentiles in Antioch were pagans, right? They come from a pagan religion. And pagan religions, there was no religious law. There was civil law, but there was no religious law. All the gods cared about was sacrifice to the gods. So they had temple prostitution, they had slaves, they were violent. I mean, it was a very, it was a, just a different, um, a different worldview when it came to morality. And so this, this call from, to, to abstain from sexual immorality, this wasn't, this is a very general, broad statement. And the idea was it was a general call to avoid immoral behavior, but not immoral behavior as, as laid out by the Old Testament. Remember, they, they didn't have the Old Testament scriptures. This was to a, a general call to avoid um, avoid, excuse me, avoid immoral behavior. Um, uh, where, what was I even saying here? See, this is what happens when you're a rookie, too. Uh, avoid immoral behavior not based on the Old Testament, but based off what Paul had been preaching in Antioch for the past two years. Now, Paul constantly tied sexual immorality and sexual ethics to the one command, and that was to treat others the way Christ treated you. Do to others as Christ has done for you, right? That's, that's the New Testament. And so these, these, these um, believers, these Gentiles up in Antioch, would have seen this abstain from sexual immorality. They would have known what comes along with that. So the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, was not the go-to source regarding sexual behavior in the church. Uh, it, was, it was what Paul's teachings were. It was the gospel. It was to, to recognize that everybody, whether uh, black, white, um, whatever, was to recognize that they are created in the image of God, that they are possible potential um, uh, bearers of the Holy Ghost. And so to treat them as such, treat them the same way that Christ treated you, live for them the same way that Christ lived and died for you. And so the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, was not the go-to source regarding sexual behavior for the church. The Old Testament, and, and even more so, the Old Testament was not the go-to source regarding, regarding any behavior for the church. This was big. Again, the, these, the, the outcome of this meeting was to detach the entire Old Testament law and system from this New Testament, uh, these New Testament imperatives, these New Testament ethics. And this, this was incredibly huge for, for, uh, um, for Paul and for James and Peter and all these people who grew up in this faith, grew up in this religion uh, of Judaism to say, okay, no, the door's been open for everybody. We need to set this aside. And so what, what they're saying here, and when it comes to Christian, Christian commands, they're saying Christianity is, is less complicated than Judaism, but it's much more demanding, right? It's, it's much less complicated. There's not 613 laws and all these, you know, sacrificial things you've got to do, but it's much more demanding. Because when you're looking at everybody as created in the image of God, right, there's no longer this, we're the, we're the Jews and everybody else is the enemy. 
when everybody is your brother and sister in Christ, when you're supposed to treat everybody and live for everybody the way Christ did for you and the way he died for you, that's much more demanding. You're going to treat people much better. It's not going to take scripture and verse to figure out how to treat others. So it's a much more demanding, much more clear um, imperative. So the church leaders unhitch the church from the worldview, the value system, and the regulation of the Jewish scriptures. The Jewish scriptures were the backstory to the main story. They're incredibly important. They were true. They still are true, but they were for a certain specific context and a certain specific time. Uh, and what you have is you have God the founder working in and through the kingdoms of our world, playing by the rules of this world to establish his kingdom as God the Father, his transcendent kingdom. And that's what we see with our relationship to the, or when we study and read the Old Testament, we see God the founder establishing his nation and then finishing the story as God the Father and establishing his relationship, his covenant to the nations. Okay, so, and so, okay, well, why is this important? Why does, why does this matter? Again, circling back to the beginning, a lot of people lose their faith and give up on Christianity because they look at some of the things in the Old Testament and they think, well, if one thing is not true, because we've been told this whole book is not true, if one thing is not true, then the whole deck of cards falls. Right? You pull one card out and the whole deck of cards falls. And so, well, we're learning evolution in school and the Bible says six-day creation and so uh, it can't, you know, the Bible's got to be wrong. Or did, you know, did Noah really have every animal on that boat? And so people will leave the faith. But what's important to remember is those issues are important. But the foundation, the rock of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. The Bible didn't create Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ created Christianity. That's what's important. And so those other things, they're, they're important issues, but they're secondary issues. And so when you're studying this and you're reading this within the context of what, what things, when you're reading the Bible within the context of how it was supposed to be written, you avoid these problems because you recognize it's the resurrection. And as someone who's studied the history of the resurrection, I'm talking about when you, when you stack up the, the, the historical facts that are accepted by the majority of scholars, and that's, that's not just Christian scholars, that's Jewish scholars, atheist scholars, agnostic scholars. When you stack up the, the, the historical facts for the, for the event, the one event of the resurrection, and when you stack it up against other things that have ha happened in, in antiquity and history, it far surpasses everything. I mean, it's absolutely incredible the, the, the evidence that we have that this happened. And so but this is what it's all about. Paul says that if, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, this is all, this is worthless, it's pointless. But if he did, everything is, everything matters. And so, if the, you know, we might not have an answer for some of the, some of the events in the Old Testament, some of the things that are different, difficult to deal, again, deal with. But again, the Bible did not create Christianity, the resurrection did. And so Peter, James, and Paul, they elected to unhitch the Christian faith from the Jewish scriptures. And they did it because of the resurrection, because of this new covenant that God was ushering in, and because of that, we see here in Acts 15, 19, to finish out, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. There, there is no um, set of things that you have to get done to become a Christian. It's all about embracing Jesus Christ for what he did, recognizing that is true, and then living your life is that, with the, with, in, in light of that reality and recognizing that everybody is created in the image of God.
So that's the message for today. And uh, I know it was a little choppy there, but hopefully you guys get the gist. And it's really important, and I highly recommend looking more into this issue because it really is an important issue, and there's a lot of literature out there on it. But we have faith. We stand on the resurrection, what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and so we don't have, have to waver in that. So thank you, Jesus, so much for this time today. I thank you uh, for everybody who came. Um, I pray, Lord, that this would not just be information but transformation. Uh, I thank you for another day on this earth. Let us, let us continue to remember and realize, no matter what else is going on, that our, our faith is in you and that the resurrection, that you are the resurrection, the truth, and the life. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us and who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.